You love technology, you love privacy, and you cherish freedom in the Constitution. This is our culture and way of life, and it's under attack from powers that be who want to know all that we do while we know little of what they do. Restore the Fourth is an organization seeking to restore that balance, and we need your help. Please head to RestoreTheFourth.com slash donate to help support our work. That's Restore the number four th.com slash donate. Thank you for your support. Your government doesn't feel you can be trusted with a powerful weapon, your thoughts. Encryption is a munition, and in the battle to keep your thoughts your own, it's your right to have military grade. This is Privacy Patriots episode number 14, recorded on November 20th, 2020. The Patriots and its active members have received no legal instruments requiring us to turn over any information since our last podcast. Hi, uh, I'm Kivas, pronouns they, them, and I'm going to be the uh, main host today for our Patriots uh, podcast, and I'm joined by Dennis. Hi, I'm Dennis. Uh, I'm in uh, Wisconsin, um, and um, yeah, just here for the, uh, the roundtable. Uh, and then we're also joined today by uh, Mitch and Powderhorn, who will be involved a bit in the conversation as well. One of the things we're going to talk about today is California's Proposition 24. So it passed, uh, what was it, a week or two ago when, um, you know, the election. And a lot of organizations have mixed feelings about it. Me personally, I feel like overall, I think it, did a disservice primarily because it makes it easier for businesses to uh, trade data so it also widens what they can use your data for Uh, before it was only uh, services that the consumer had um, uh, requested and now it's for any general business uh, purpose, which was kind of what they were already doing before. That was the the language they used before. Um, so uh, yeah, those are a few reasons why I think um, it it actually kind of took more steps back than forward. Well, Neil, we see obviously in day to day life, there's so many you know instances where businesses are collecting data. Um, I'm thinking more you know online stuff where this happens, but then businesses selling information to other businesses, uh, cookies getting on your computer, whatever it happens to be, where you know every time you go on a website, there's going to be privacy issues that come up, and and I, I think it's safe to say that there's some corporations, some companies that do a far better job of handling that than other ones do, um, but any any law passing that that allows companies more freedom to um, pick and choose what information they're gleaning, what information they're keeping, what information they're selling, that can certainly, uh, you know, bring up a lot of questions about the privacy issue. And, uh, you know, the state of California is is oftentimes, I think, kind of caught in between things. It, it being such a big state with such a wide variety of businesses and types of people that you'll see 
you know, uh, obviously California has a reputation of being a very liberal state, and then there's times where California will come along and do something where you're just like, wow, like that that is completely contrary to that um, that image that California has. And it seems like this is one of those bills where it's allowing some things that are not conducive to uh, freedom or private, you know, privacy, and it's also not conducive to um, being pro-consumer either, uh, allowing these companies to have this amount of information, share this amount of information with each other. Now I, as a consumer, have to worry about my information being out there all that much more, getting targeted a lot, you know, that much more by different businesses. It can certainly bring up a lot of concerns. Yeah, especially because they can mix and match so much data, it that's where you really get into the potential for, you know, twenty four sale twenty four seven surveillance. Um, it, it can be already problematic if you just let one data company or software um, use any data it wants, however it wants. Um, but at least that way, it would be uh, limited, ideally. Um, to when you're using that application. You know, obviously there's been instances before where we see sometimes you'll uninstall a program, but it still leaves behind cookies or various different applications, software, scripts, etc. to still collect information on what you're doing, which, again, um, would create, a like I said, 24-7 surveillance um, situation. So, yeah, uh, those are two things in particular that really, um, uh, you know, uh, made me not want to root for it. Also, it does have some Mm -hmm. options. Yeah. It also has some options um, that allows like a pay for uh, a a pay for privacy sort of scheme. Um, I have mixed feelings on that, honestly. Um. I guess because in, in, for if, if I know what data they're using, um, I might be okay with them using that data. Maybe even selling it. Um, for instance, like uh, you know, um, before I was in the market for a laptop. So if companies want to tell everybody that I'm looking for a laptop, you know, that would be something I would be okay with. You know, so it's, it's it's one of those areas where it kind of depends on, you know, what data we're talking about. And again, to what extent oh, a company has. Yeah. yeah. And to what extent a company has access to me. Um, for instance, mm-hmm. we're doing this podcast. So obviously I'm OK with publicizing my thoughts on this matter. Um, but, uh, you know, for, but that's not the same as, you know, me being me saying that doesn't mean I'm OK with. You know, everything I say anytime being, you know, available for, you know, public consumption. So, again, that's kind of where, you know, the context and the extent um, really matters. Yeah. And one of the things that's so double edged about technology today is that, you know, you can um, because a lot of these companies have the ability to kind of see your preferences for where you're going online, what it is you like to shop for, it allows them to, you know, send you deals that are more in line with the sorts of things that you want to buy. 
I mean, you know, there's all sorts of products out there that I don't have any interest in and I wouldn't want to receive offers for or anything like that. But if it's something that I typically would be shopping for or looking at or have interest in, you know, even something as simple as my musical tastes or whatever, you know, I think most people are okay with that. But like you said, what's the scope of that? Like how deep do they get their foot into your, your tendencies and who's seeing it, who is sifting through this stuff and that, you know, that opens up a whole can of worms about about the privacy issue. You know, um, there are definitely positives to it, but there can be a lot of negatives. And, and, you know, you always have to worry about what are the safeguards and who is enforcing the safeguards. Then you get into a whole other argument about, you know, is this government intrusion? Is this, is this in fact, stepping on my privacy? things of that nature and and it can definitely be a head spinning kind of argument because there's just so many different angles to look at it from yeah speaking of which um i see uh when i was researching it it seems like they now prop 24 now allows them to um, process uh biometric data including dna and uh quote-unquote face print um uh, I think it's kind of obvious ways ways in which we would want them to process that data. For instance, like your healthcare provider. Um, but then there's other ways in which you mm-hmm. wouldn't want them to process that data. One example would be, uh, for instance, I went to buy a game before and they were asking me how much I weigh. Like, you know, that's like an area where mm-hmm. you don't need to know that information. Um, so, you know, I told mm-hmm. them. Right. I told them how much I wanted to weigh. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know it too. It it, it kind of starts to go into the the subject of when you mentioned about uh, with with facial stuff. Uh, you know where does that play in where like facial recognition stuff is concerned, and that's of course a huge privacy issue uh, when you've got some of these cities that have cameras everywhere and they've got the facial recognition technology that can then become a major issue of privacy and um you know you're you're getting into a, a, a lot of very deep and very uh questionable stuff when you start talking about that so if if my cell phone provider you know like uh uh, for instance, I know that there's some cell phones you can open with facial recognition. All right, that's great. But what's being done with that information? You know, is is that now being put into the sphere of facial recognition in ways I don't want it to? You know, uh, all this technology, and it's been an issue with technology for some time where the uh, the ease it provides for life is so wonderful, but we always have to ask at what cost and you know it's it's important when a law like this passes or a proposition passes that there are safeguards put into place that there is somebody paying attention to what these companies are doing with this because if unwatched what's to stop them from doing any or anything that they want with it and that's not to say that i think that all corporations or companies or even close to all of them would be that laissez-faire with with that kind of information but you know the 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 opportunity for that abuse is there and that is certainly something that 
it it behooves us to to keep an eye on to pay attention to i actually got something for this i i, I do i do agree I, I my my two cents is something to the tune of uh when things like this are originally made they're um, they're made for a purpose like you said what are they doing with that facial recognition software that uh, can you know tell who its owner is by looking at his face and go oh you're allowed to use this phone and open the phone for you i think that a lot of ideas like that have origins in good places but then they just shunt data out right like they have to have a way of knowing what your face looks like right so they have something cached that says in however much data this is this person's face <clears throat> now that data is out there and a lot of people don't think of anything else further it's like when you're uh like doing some basic coding work and you make a variable and you name it something right it's like okay well what what if that named variable you just made goes out to the internet and can be used by anybody so suddenly you want to be conscious about how you name it, what you name it, and how accessible you want it to be. You have to have the option for data protection when you shunt data like that out there, especially, especially, wow, English, especially very important data. Very true. Very true. I was actually just going to add, um, I think that, uh, while there's definitely, um, a, a quite a, uh, a good amount of data that is, accidentally leaked out in ways um my background mm -hmm. uh in industry is uh in uh analytics heavily as well as sales um and i think that people would be surprised how many products are really intentionally designed to uh get you to go along with something in order to like start with your data. I mean, even Gmail is a great example of this where we were just like, Hey, this is this great, awesome service. It's wonderful. It's free. Uh, and it's building profiles of everything that we type and think about. I remember thinking Google voice, uh, the original, uh, sorry, Google, Google 411 was really cool. Awesome, free service. And I didn't realize that they were building vo voice data sets of us with our, our knowledge in order to train data models. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's interesting when things, uh, look like they're for us and get out of control and when things kind of never were. Yeah, that, um, that's a great Very point. Cool. It also, rem it also reminds me of a point I wanted to make about how, um, the lack of, you know, data privacy and security is not just an individual thing. It's also like a matter of uh, national security because, for instance, you know, one of my favorite examples, you know, um, in an ironic sense, I guess you could say uh, um, Cambridge Analytica, you know, uh, because, uh, as you were mentioning, um, leaked data and they were able to use that to then to then. Um, influence the populace and their voting habits. And so uh, you have to wonder and uh, be a little bit concerned about, you know, are there other companies out there that are actually a front for various different foreign interests or even uh, malicious uh, domestic interests that are going to use our data um, for inappropriate means? That's a very valid point. I, I, I agree with that. 
but I would say that there's there's a procedure to these things, right? There's an order in which things happen. Usually it's something gets created and the people that created it usually aren't aware of a way that it can be used badly because that's not what's on their minds. So you have a sort of like a neutral set of data points uh, or exploits or openings or really anything that's desired, right? We'll just call it a resource. You have a set of neutral resources that were originally purpose-made and probably didn't have like a full complete understanding of how it in every way that it could be used unless the person was particularly thorough in their creation of such a thing, which is what um, habit is now turning to, thank the gods. But uh, you have a neutral set of resources and they're going to be uh, exploited by the first person looking to do something with them. So that person usually is like, all right, well, how can I use anything to my advantage in a way that hasn't been used before for nefarious purposes? It's almost like uh, I'll, I'll, I'll compare it to like real life crime, how actual crime happens in new and innovative ways to combat what existing strictures are in place to prevent such malicious uses of it. And in the first cases of such incidents, there's usually no strictures against malicious uses because it hasn't happened yet. So I think we're at the wonderful and horrible bleeding edge of seeing this stuff happening, of being responsible for it, and of being uh, of, of having the onus of having to think protectively and proactively about how somebody could exploit such resources in the future and being responsible in, say, at least having reasonable uh, measures in place to say, okay, so at least if somebody is going to try and misuse this, it's going to be harder for them. And that's, I think, where a lot of people are tripping up these days is in uh, being forward about protecting their data instead of just picking up after they've already had a smash and grab done. So I was just going to say that was something I uh, found interesting in looking at the uh, Prop 24 um, notes from EFF was uh, on erosion of right to delete. There's some really, really vague language on uh, if it would, if retention would help ensure security and integrity that like smacks of executive privilege and things like that in terms of when someone can delete your data, uh, which uh, the better our algorithms get at piecing together metadata, the uh, more effective they'll be in uh, profiling and so forth. So that's, that was that was uh, interesting there too as well. Yeah, um, one thing I was going to say, I, I, I do kind of disagree to a certain extent about the process um, you were talking about because because we we you know live in a capitalist system, people will forever be encouraged to get more money, and that in and of itself means you're going to be extracting value from others, and so in, in that sense they're they're pre. Uh, pre-incentivized to do particular malicious behaviors or, or you know, uh, malicious behaviors in general, because again, the idea is just, well, look for any way to extract value out of you, which may not be um, a way that actually adds value to you in a different sort of way. So I, I feel in, in that sense, um, without law, people will uh, tend to um, lean towards more malicious behaviors, and uh, yeah, I definitely agree with um, what uh, Powderhorn was saying about the uh, erosion for the right to delete. Um, I, I feel I, <laughs> I guess it's 
it's very it's just uh i guess you could say like a lay person's perspective of you know if you're going to be out there telling everybody you know um everything you know about me constantly you know having my name in your mouth then you should also put just as much effort to go out there and clean up whatever you know misinformation or information you don't have the right to say about as well which leads to an interesting uh concern that i've had about uh the ability to protect your information yourself versus the ability to convince every one of your friends and family to use encrypted measures when communicating about you because that's a lot harder and your information gets that anyway you know what i mean yeah that also reminds me of um uh like those um dna tests where it's like well i mean you don't have to send your dna but you know if your relatives send their dna then essentially the company has some insight on your dna and so it's it's, it's definitely a reminder that, you know, what they say, no person's island sort of thing. So, but yeah, that's why I think, uh, what I was, uh, what I talked about on the last podcast is, um, we, ha- we have to not only work for, uh, laws to be enacted to protect privacy, but we also need to make it a cultural value, um, you know, to use different apps and, software that uh protects our privacy and you know having time where you know um and maybe we don't have any technology in the room um i know i always feel you know like a, a breath of fresh air when i enter those sorts of spaces i think it's the problem of getting people who don't live near water to learn how to swim it's a like most people don't consider data privacy and whatnot to be an issue because they may not exist as much in those spheres. So they put a lot less emphasis on it. They have uniform passwords. They never change them. They try and use the same email address their entire lives, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I'm speaking because I do all those things and I'm a dirty, dirty plebeian in that regard. So, <laughs> um, but most of the time that's, <laughs> it's not a concern for most people because they don't get it. It's like, it's, it's not relevant to them at the moment and they don't see how it can be relevant. So they don't know why they should do it. So that unfortunately has to be the low, lowest common denominator that's planned for, which is why ethical, um, what would you call it? I guess ethical data protection measures have to be in place, like protecting people that don't know any better because they don't have the professional information necessary to be even aware that such a thing is a problem. Yeah. And that, that to that point, it kind of branches into something else like with our society in general, that most people tend to think, uh, you know, your normal law abiding citizen I'm a normal law-abiding citizen. I'm not doing anything that anybody would take any interest in. And why would my data be getting, you know, collected? And I think that a lot of people in our society feel that way. And speaking of that point of the people that just don't know any better, um, you know, to, in, to their mind, there wouldn't be any reason anybody would need to or want to collect their data and that they don't have anything to hide anyway. But, you know, uh, that's something that, that people should be more aware about, certainly. I think those cultural values are um, paramount. And I, I feel like, you know, as I mentioned before, people may not be as vocal about it, but um, we're seeing the passage of, 
you know, these different laws. And I think that's, you know, one of the ways in which we're going to get not only, you know, the legal protections, but also slowly um, work towards having those cultural values and, um, you know, segueing, uh, you know, uh, I think pardoning Snowden would be a, a uh, historic step into admitting that those are culture values we now hold. Um, you know, uh, there's been um, court cases that, you know, uh, the judges have ruled that uh, his his leaks did show that there was, you know, impropriety um, being committed, you know, at the NSA. Uh, the reforms to the NSA in and of itself, I would argue, um, is evidence that, you know, he was right in what he did. Um, particularly since, you know, they haven't been able to show um, that, you know, his uh, disclosures, his whistleblowing, uh, or I should say his whistleblowing um, only protected us and it didn't, you know, cause any disastrous effects. So, um, yeah, I think that would be an important move for our uh, quote-unquote leadership um, to make. Yeah, that would be that'd be a great move. I think that it's an interesting position because I, sorry, I very much agree. I acknowledge that it's like very difficult for a couple of reasons that even remind me of where we are right now with our current president in that by pardoning Snowden, you have to acknowledge that he was exposing something wrong at possibly the highest levels of government. And right now we're trying to figure out how you even interact with the highest levels of government when you might have to prosecute them or something like that, you know? So, um, that's, I feel like that's a, it's, it's, it's important. It would be historic. Um, I'm really interested in like how we get something like that done knowing like literally like who like just got elected to be president. <laughs> I definitely get that. I think, I mean, it, to me, it's definitely an interesting thing because um, I've always been curious as to how that relationship really works between, you know, the president who for the last, I don't know how many, you know, hundreds of years has been more of a political appointee versus you know military intelligence espionage um leaders who have more control over the gun quote unquote um so i'm pretty sure they would not you know like um him to be pardoned uh because that would imply that you know they did something wrong and uh, they don't want their record being tarnished like that while they still have, you know, something to say about it. Uh, if I remember correctly, um, I think it was Evo Morales' plane was grounded on uh, order from the White House during the Barack administration. I think this literally might have been from Biden, but it was specifically because they thought that Snowden might be uh, stowed away uh, as... Um, some heads of state were flying back from a conference in Moscow. And it's like, if the U.S. is willing to ground the head, the planes of heads of state to like search, <laughs> like, yeah, it's just, there's, 
they obviously have a lot at stake in this kind of thing, you know? So there was definitely a lot of stake at stake whether from the government's perspective, you know, and obviously there was a lot of egg on the government's face with the revelations of Snowden. But the fact, you know, they I, I think that it was a a reactionary thing on the part of the government that all of their I guess you could say their dirty laundry was exposed and uh you know, it was a bit of vindictiveness. And certainly to go to the extent of grounding the plane of a foreign head of state is, you know, beyond the pall. I mean, I think in general, um, you know, we can look at the historic record and see that perhaps the biggest reason for the War of 1812 was, you know, the hot-button issue was the British pulling over our, you know, pulling over ships and taking people and, you know, impressing them into service. So if we had that big of an issue with a foreign state um, messing with our our uh, sovereignty, then our messing with the sovereignty of Mr. Morales's plane would certainly indicate some extreme situations, certainly, yeah. Yeah, I remember um, that was uh, one of those times where I made sure to pay attention to, you know, the news second by second because it was just interesting seeing how many um, countries, you know, uh, the United States was able to um, move and shake, so to speak, uh, you know, at... uh, at such short notice, um, uh, just in the attempt to find, uh, you know, Snowden. Um, so yeah, it's like one of those things where you know, uh, you know, it's a historic event. You won't, it probably won't happen, you know, uh, anytime soon. So you make sure to try to soak it all in and get all the nuance and subtext. And I also think that uh, it is one of those things that we as a country should not only forgive but respect and encourage um because it is one of those things that took you know uh courage and um a sense of you know duty to um you know uh his country to do such a, a difficult thing no that's definitely a very good point it uh it did certainly take a lot of courage on his part to do that and uh the the government definitely went out of their way to, to demonize what he did, and it was good to have a light shone on that. You know, on what what at least in theory makes our democracy, our country work best is when there's as little in the shadows as is humanly possible. And Mr. Snowden did did do that. He did shine a light on something that we were doing that goes against what we state as our values as a country, um, and the international embarrassment that I think the, the government as a whole feared would come out of that, you know, caused them to think that they needed to go to extreme measures. I was just going to say on the point of like, um, bravery, like the, the irony of like, uh, Snowden giving up his like American citizenship and like the freedoms that we supposedly enjoy to be exiled in another nation so that we could, like, know about the erosion of them is, like, yeah, I think that, like, nails it pretty good. Um, so I guess uh, the next thing 
we could talk about is um chapter updates. I started the Atlanta chapter almost a year ago, which as you could imagine was kind of bad timing because of Corona. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so yeah, um, um, here in Atlanta, you know, I've been doing a lot to reach out to different people, um, you know, making sure to bring awareness around digital privacy and whatnot. And overall, you know, at least from, you know, what I've, what's been verbalized to me, um, there's been a, a good reception. Um, most people here, most people here, um, uh, recognize the need for digital privacy. And there is, I would say, <clears throat> um, maybe it's just the, the circles I've been, um, involved in, but there's a health, a healthy amount of, you know, skepticism of police power. So, um, yeah, overall, uh, like I said, just making, um, pretty good progress. Well, we do not per se have a chapter in Wisconsin yet. I believe, uh, to the best of my knowledge, I'm the only one thus far. So, um, started to try to get to work on, on, uh, reaching out to legislators. Um, there is a fairly new, uh, congressperson for my particular district. Um, we have one very good senator uh, on the scorecard, one not so good. Um, so, you know, attempts to reach out to them and um, express my views on the, the need for privacy. And um, I know there's that for sure at least one senator who with whom that is very um, fertile ground. So... So yeah, that was our time on the Patriots podcast. Um, and hope you learned something and remember to protect your data and, uh, we'll see you next time. Well, that about wraps things up. We hope you enjoyed episode 13 of Privacy Patriots, the official podcast of Restore the Fourth. Thanks for listening and we hope to have you join us for the next episode. In the meantime, head over to privacypatriots.org where you can get further connected with us on Reddit, Twitter, and Facebook. So keep watching The Watchers, and stay tuned as we give you the information you need to keep your information your own.